Hello, listeners, and welcome back to From Out of Game. I'm going to go ahead and continue out the pirate campaign because I think this this episode should round it out completely just to where we're at. We don't get to play this one a whole lot, but we do have a lot of fun when we do. So when we last left our heroes, they had just saved two polymorphed a, a dwarf and an elf, no, a dwarf and a human. And they just got back to their regular selves after tactfully acquiring a wizard who could do the job. <clears throat> and Captain Cuchillo was met with Varash, her crow's nest spotter, that he had met with the the, the scrying wizards of, of that are on deck that she is hired to keep track of her mortal nemesis, Moritha. And the bad news is that they have no trace of her right now. So they need to find a new way to track her down. Because that's all Captain Cuchillo wants. Is she wants her uh, tiara back from her mortal enemy. And she, she at least needs to know where she's at. So Varash go ahead, uh, goes ahead and mentions to her, I think I might know a way, but we need to go get an item first. It's a very good way... In, at least in my DMing experience, to make sure that I can keep the side quests, because I mean, let's be honest, certainly a side quest, relevant to what the player's interests are. So it's it's not leading them on on my terms, because I have a story written down, yes, but I don't ever want them to feel like they're being forced into these encounters. So I always make sure I have some sort of aspect of their interests to the game and so this new crystal ball almost is what she needs to be looking for so she gears up the team everyone gets on board uh dark soccer double checks the whole shift to make sure everything's in order mittens pairs up with Varash, and they start keeping an eye out and that's a very good thing because i want them in their characters to be able to always be in character working their jobs when we started this campaign they all picked a job or a duty on the ship and it's not just to pass the time it's it's to actually conduct a working machine a quarantine the machine if you will so as mittens can fly maybe not as fast as flow on certain speeds but she can get around the ship if she needs to which is good because they need to get to this mountain has no name because it's not important at least not at the time if i was writing a book for instance i would probably talk to my team about it if they want to sign up my team my players where we are on team if they wanted to name it anything in particular so as they're flying out there or swimming uh Morlitha has her own set of spies as well and i use that in the form of harpies and i like to use different motives of foreshadowing I, I think it's very important to have a cohesive story with everything in line and the hardest part with the pirates is just mainly the ridiculousness of having a flying whale but the the hard part of keeping up with them on a dm's perspective especially if if they want to stay out at sea and be self self-sufficient that's kind of harder to keep up with on omniscient and that's funny to say i know but it, it's harder for the player to believe how would i know where they're at 
if I never saw them in game. Because obviously I know where they're at because I'm God. But it's not fair to just be like, hey, uh, the, the militia's here and they're after you. That's not fair. So I use harpies as Morlitha's scouts because they can fly too and they are, I wouldn't say temptresses, but they, they have their own form of pred predatory instincts, you know, so hunting is not a problem. So I send out two, yeah, I send out two harpies at them toward, when they're going towards the island of this mountain. And I start, I start saying that the, the sky looks a little dark and gloomy, maybe a storm's coming in. And obviously I, I gave them all the profession seafaring or seamanship pirate is basically the profession anyway and so when they have these harpies on i made sure i rolled spot checks but i didn't really say much because i hate quick quick digression the worst thing about being a dm is basically playing against yourself when you have an npc character and you're also the bad guys and you're just being yourself up you, you literally become your own worst enemy and it makes everything less immersive if I end up playing an autoplay sequence that my characters just destroy my other characters, you know. So it's always good to have them as pawns, as a good sight. Uh, a spotter is what Varrosh is. He's, he's a giant freaking crow, you know. So he's able to see these, these scouts, and I take out one of them. But I made sure, since he's just stuck in this crow's nest, he can't see that once it's lodged itself on the bottom of the whale as well. So I keep her there, and they fly all the way closer to this island. The storm does come in. And what I have them do is, since they're flying, that's definitely closer to lightning strikes than in the water. But I gave them the option to either fly or swim. If you swim... It's not as scary as maneuverability because you're you have this trusted force of water beneath you, right? Because this whale and a ship that kind of acts as like a dorsal fin, but it's slower because of the the drag in the water and the act of swimming and the flow would probably need to break. So I told them they could do that, and the only consequence I would add there is more encounters, or I said you can double time it and fly. My only uh, consequence there was going to be I'm going to kick a storm up, especially because it's going to be circling this island. It's, it's a permanent storm that only gets like immediately worse right when you hit it, and then it has the classic eye of the storm approach right dead in the center, and that's where the island is in the mountain. And it might be like three mountains in my head. I'll get to the island description in a minute. But what, what I do this because they have this free range of movement. It's crazy on how much we can uh, put downtime in just fast traveling, quote-unquote. It, it's, it's great because then they can really put their jobs to good use. They can ask questions. They can prepare spells in that time. But oh, excuse me. what challenges me as a DM with that sort of free range of movement is equaling, equaling or upping the ante on each encounter because I have to take this vast ocean uh, landmass body of water I, I don't even have it an accurate 
representation of how big this ocean could be, and I have to make it interesting. Yes, sometimes in, re in real life, an ocean is going to be boring as hell. It's going to be just flat, choppy, some waves here and there, some fish, and a storm. That's, that's the extent of it. Maybe a ship battle with an opposing force, which in their sense would be the capital of nations, since Captain Cuchillo, remember, is infamous. She chose the dishonorable Dread Pirate. She is the classic Dread Pirate of the, the not the Seven Seas, it's American, not American, real life stuff. This is the Dread Pirate of the, the infinite universe that is our D&D campaigns. So in order to make these things interesting, I like the idea of hiding this treasure inside of a cave. That cave is on top of a giant mountain. That giant mountain is on the middle of an island. That middle of the island is surrounded by a giant storm. So it has this depth to it. It doesn't seem like much just to say it like that, but when I offer that much around this item they want, they're free to take this image of however they want. Some people may take it as a Mount Doom type thing, and a mountain of doom, I should say, type of encounter. Whereas when I have it, as long as they're making the right rolls and balancing, because I was, I was jostling them around in the ship when they're going through the storm right now, the way I see the island right when it gets into the eye of the storm, it has this crescent moon pattern. If you take your hand from 12 o'clock and scoop it all the way around to 9 o'clock, clockwise fashion, right around 4 o'clock is the, this big landmass, almost like a, a tumor of, of mountainous region. And it has this long bridge that is pretty ornate in fashion, solid bright rocks really because now the sun's out when they're here and these portcullises all the way up, up uh, line this bridge all the way up to the cave and since it crescents around there's that little place to relax so Flo drops off Captain Cuchillo Mittens the kid who's playing the blackguard he's only here for this first part because he has to go home the next day and we play it again months later and Darkstalker possessing a Warforge because he's afraid if he possesses his Raptor. No, he possesses Raptor. I'm sorry. Yeah, he possesses Raptor. Because <clears throat> he didn't want to take out the Warforge. He didn't want to be slow. And he, he wanted to make sure he's battle ready. So it's those four that get on the ship. I keep Jeff and Varash behind and all the captives. And Flo takes off and goes around to that little bay area that's encased by the island. So they start going up there, and they're taking their time, because I've now taken them from a city aspect, two cities, a town encounter, a shopping encounter, and now I have them out and about into a real sort of cave, anything goes battle. Like, real violence can happen here now, without consequence of murder, I guess you can say. Not that they would mind, they'd just run off and go atone for themselves anyway. So this is where... The harpy flies underneath and kind of follows them in because it's still a scout, still trying to gather its its um, its reins here. But I believe either Dark Darkstalker or the Blackguard gets a nat twenty on a listen and or spot check, and they know she's there. And I was so proud of my kids because Darkstalker and Mittens 
are both druids, and I always tell my favorite spell is stone shape. And they ask, what is this walkway made of? It's about a thousand feet to the air. And I said, well, it's made of stone. So they want, then what they do is they just touch where they're walking and make the underside, which is all stone all the way through, into a grasping hand and sucks her in. Where at this point, Captain just wants to go down there and strangle her. And I, I pull a fast card on him. I try to do the captivating song that Harpies have to get them to fall into this little pit they made in the walkway. And they all resist it. I think only Dark Soccer failed to save like once, but I let him uh, re-roll because he was smacked into senses. Because I'm not trying to just outright murder him. I like to have a challenge, but I don't like to steamroll it, you know? So they get this harpy subdued with another stone shape to keep her arm down, but just to make sure they go they knock her unconscious. Which I was surprised. I thought they were just gonna outright kill her. And so they have this unconscious harpy down there for about it's probably a few hours before she comes to. Excuse me. And that was at the point where we ended that session. We get to play for about an hour maybe an hour and a half with the neighbor kid and our kids together. And I said, maybe next time we'll get into this cave and I'll start describing a few more things. But that has come for months later and it, it was great. And I'm going to get into it after I gather my thoughts for a little bit. So just hang in there and I'll be right back. gathered my thoughts together because I really want to get into this encounter pretty in detail, mainly from my perspective, especially because I really liked the concept when I first came up with it, and it's something I'm really looking forward to refining and throwing at different parties because it, it, it's got some potential. I love when I can think of something that has that, that can be used over multiple sessions and encounters and campaigns so they enter this cave and i don't immediately show anything of immediate uh, the, i don't immediately show anything of danger i show a few bodies some bones old bones and it's a very large cave right and there's stalagmites and there's columns there's stalactites classic cave fashion and then to their left there appears to be a separation in the middle of the mountain, almost as if these uh, they're in a shorter mountain and it connects to a larger mountain where a rickety bridge is. So they travel from a stone walkway into a cave, lots of different features of it, to a rickety bridge about maybe 15 feet wide. So it's a wide bridge that's short. So they're looking around, trying to make sure they've got everything that's good. It's quiet in this cave, which is probably, at first glance, maybe a little eerie. But I'm doing it on purpose to establish this sense of sort of safety. And I can get to that in a minute. So they cross this bridge. And the first thing I make sure is apparent is a pedestal with three points 
it's on a, tri a triangular solid pedestal and what is there is just an empty empty space it looks like it could fit maybe a sphere and these almost dragon-like talons are retracted they're inside the pedestal and not out if that makes sense and as they look forward there are three pathways there is it, it, it's a medium fork left forward right right looks like it goes down and it's just dark forward is a ladder upward and left goes to outside of the mountain on a very slender path that curves around it, it veers off to the right so it goes out of sight they, they search around a little more and they find a secret hobble i left that there on purpose because it is a gnome research center kind of thing it was a crazy gnome who used to live there and i made sure that they had the search for it because the only small size character is mittens and she's always flying so i, I had to make sure they're using all their skills to the disposal so they crawl in there captain cuchillo can transform into a snake it's pretty cool so they sneak in there and kind of get a load out of everything and they see a few a few symbols left and right a few things are charred and they're starting to gather that an orb goes onto the pedestal and then these forces will act on it and something happens they're gathering pieces to this puzzle <clears throat> mind you this whole encounter took two sessions so it just got a little slow and some players got a little mixed up on not their duties but it was one of those times where i as a dm should have been better at preparing more things to do because the party gets split up towards the end and one player ends up just basically waiting anyway by unanimous decision captain cuchillo decides to go with mittens down the right hallway that's very dark they walk they walk they walk and i ask them how far do you wish to walk and i think i threw out 40 feet 50 feet because i wanted them to say like because right at 50 feet there is a black veil that is a vortice, as they call it in the name of the planes, to the shadow plane. The shadow plane is a coexisting plane on the material plane. I'm definitely going to be needing another episode just for cosmology. It'll probably be uh, after this episode. So the shadow plane takes up the exact same spaces as the material plane. You can think of it as the upside down, but I'm not going to get copyright for that because it's not the upside down. It's the shadow plane. So. When they start to see this light again they are really just reversing their movement back to where they were at that pedestal but now in the shadow plane so they walked in and out that same hallway in, in like for instance i guess you can say like that's a, almost literally what happened but on two different planes so now they're they're trying to discover what just happened you know and i try to make it a point to say everything's jagged uh my eldest said and so it's kind of like how venom looks when he's trying to be symbiotically attached to someone i said yes that's a good point so they're looking at how things kind of float upwards almost like lava lamps and then they notice that there are coin-shaped shadows in the wall and so some gears are starting to turn here so they go back to the other side 
and they look right where that wall is, where it's a solid wall, and they start to see it's mirror imaged on two different planes, and they get the coins out of the wall. So now they travel further through this, this whole hallway back to the shadow version of where the pedestal is. And where that cave entrance was is now a basically battlefield. All they see is the the twisted warping columns spiraling up per, like indefinitely, attaching to the ceiling and like almost how if you were to spill water onto the ground and how it goes out, it does that, but towards the ceiling and it's black and twisted. And then they see this giant shadow structure. And he's moving real slow and he looks top heavy and bulky. And so what I did here is good encounters, and in my opinion, come in threes. And this is the, they can choose to espionage this, which they did. Uh, Captain Cuchillo chose to sneak over there with her chameleon ability. So shadow creatures have a hate towards living creatures or light-based creatures, I guess, which, you know, would base off of any color-based creature. So she gets over there. And she sneaks away because she sees this black orb that's in a broken away portion of a column. Because the column was solid in the material plane, broken away here. So she can sneak over there, grab the grab the, the orb, take off. The shadow creature finds them, and instead of being this giant hulking mass, they break it apart into four smaller guys that kind of trapeze themselves off of each other and start swarming at them because I want to have this sense of not everything is as it seems towards them, too. So they want nothing to do with this fight. It was... It, it wasn't necessarily supposed to happen that way, but I'm kind of glad it did. And so they book it back to the material plane by going down that same hallway, no question to ask. I thought it was a very good maneuver, very smart, because all I want is the loot. And they realize once they get out past that veil... The creatures followed them through the veil, but not out of that hallway because it gets bright again. Because that chasm, remember, lets in a whole lot of natural light. So once they put the orb down onto the pedestal, now that's on the material plane, a black claw extends itself out of the pedestal and holds it there in place. So now they're starting to see, okay, there's two more things to do. That's So after they're satisfied with the creatures aren't getting over here and this thing's in place where it should be they decide to go up the stairs towards this it, it's like a plateau it's not the top of the mountain but it might as well should be this encounter was relatively short i did not do the damage output on my end very well i wanted to test something really there's these things called archons and lantern archons are just floating orbs that zap people and I, I ran through those in there. They're just way too weak, and they, they don't have a very good uh, to hit on anything. Anyway, they make it to the top, and since they are chaotic characters of mildly... They're not evil, but like they can be. They see this angelic-looking dude. He's, he's a fallen angel, and he is sworn to defend the all-seeing eye of, of Celestia. And that's what I was going with, because they didn't necessarily, like, the idea was to have this crystal ball that can see carbon, uh, not carbon, uh, duplicate copies of 
where your shadow self would be and where your ethereal self would be on the like on the material plane because remember they all encompass the same areas so he's monologuing monologuing and i love having the personalities swapped because normally the good guys have to sit there and wait for the monologue to be over nope they just pull out guns because they're pirates Captain Kuchito shoots like three guns at him and he comes in swinging with a great sword uh he gets a good hit on captain and that's what sends the raptor off to just start ripping him to shreds except he only does that once until he realizes because when Mittens, the first thing she wanted to do, summon a spider swarm. So the, the kids, they, they like to conquer their fears this way. So she sent Mittens summon spiders, just a bunch of spiders. And this guy is just covered in spiders. And at the same time, that's when Darkstalker said, hey, I want to cast that same spell. So now there's just two swarms of spiders on this poor fallen angel. And Captain's just shooting at him, and he, he just gets beat up, dude. And all this time, because you never want to have just one bad guy in, in a good encounter. You want to have several minions kind of diverting attention so that you don't have this swarm tactic happen. However, I misgaged it, and the Lantern Archons just were not strong enough. So they, they beat that, and they were able to take this clear crystal out of the, the this fallen angel's hands. They go back downstairs... And they realize when they set that one down, it fits in the same place as the Shadow Orb. They fit. They occupy the same space now, and a bright claw comes up and holds it, holds them both into place. And <clears throat> they can see that different things pop up when you look through them. That was the end of another session, because the whole next session was just doing the, the left side. And it really wasn't a whole lot. It was just they, they did a lot of overthinking. Which is it was totally fine because I did make it sound more precarious than it should be. I might go a little over my normal 30 minutes, but it's worth it to get through this. So they look out there and they see this very precarious, maybe like one foot wide pathway. Dark Soccer immediately says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it because I'm a giant raptor. He's in his raptor at this time, Maximus. He's afraid if he falls, that's the end of his raptor, and that would be heartbreaking. Because yes, it is his familiar, his animal companion, as druids get. However, you've got to wait so you have to wait so long to get that that animal back, you know. So he stays he stays back to guard the crystal ball. The yeah, the crystal ball. He guards it, and. So Captain is still in snake form now, and Mittens, a tiny cat, they traverse this very slender path all the way, and they're, they're seeing this ancient tube on their right, and it, it, it looks intricate and dwarven, and it's behind a grate that was carved into the mountain, and they find themselves, it, the gusts of wind are pushing up against the wall trying to throw them off, and it's super intense, and they end up booking it as fast as they can. Luckily, Mittens can fly. It's not a big deal, but they're more worried about Captain flying off the mountain. She has no way of making it back, because Flo is halfway across this island. So, they make it to this small cave, very small, like a bedroom, even. And only half of the words are, on, are carved onto this wall after they 
wipe away some old dust and rubble. And in the center is another pedestal, and there's nothing on it. There's two, there's two levers down, and then a missing lever. One would expect, if you did enough research, a missing lever, basically. So they kind of look around. They're not really... They don't make very good decipher script checks, so they're, they're left a little blind. Until Mitten says, I guess I'm going to fly to the roof, where she finds the portal to the ethereal realm, which is just like the shadow plane, but on the other spectrum of encompassing the material plane. So now she's out, and now she's looking at all these ghosts, because ghosts live on the ethereal plane, and they're, they're all those who've tried to do this challenge and have fallen. Not really like actual players of mine, but I made it look as if it was challenging. So she flies back through the material plane, tells Captain, they come out, and now they're they're both out into the ethereal plane, and they go back into where they were on the material plane, but now in the ethereal plane. Now that same pedestal that had a missing switch now has two missing switches that are existing on the material plane, and the lever that on the ethereal plane, they switch to the on position, which activates this energy that flows out of the now existent crystal ball that is looks kind of ghost and uh, like a grayish haze you know that's on the inside and they see that as long as they're carrying the orb the energy follows it through those tubes so they have to walk it all the way back to the original home base of the new of uh, the old other orbs and they put it there on the ethereal plane and then that third claw comes up and takes it to the material plane and fuses all three crystal balls together so now they all come back and they realize we got this great crystal ball and we, we got to get back to the ship because that entire time like i said i had a player wait the entire time maximus poor crookshanks stuck in his raptor is just waiting waiting in just for nothing because I, I didn't know what else to throw at him by himself. I did let him see that more harpies had made it through the storm after them and that they they would have some company. So that means when they got the orb, they would have to book it right away. And that's what they did. They had to go, go back over the, the bridge is out. So they all had to jump over it, fly over it. That was just from those gusts of wind, also affected where Maximus was. So that bridge is out. They jump over or fly over it where applicable. And they still have that harpy that they want to take back. Because remember at the very beginning? So what happened with the, the uh, black, excuse me, the blackguard who, whose player wasn't here this those last sessions, we had him on autopilot just falling over onto the harpy. They couldn't break her free. And they had to make sure, they just said, forget it, we have to go. And Barash greets them on, Jeff gets them on, and Flo's like, we gotta go. Like, we have to go now because they're chasing after us. They, they flew all the way around the mountain to try to get them off their tail. And now we are leaving the island right now. This is where we are up to date with the pirates right now. It took maybe four or five sessions, but we play when we can. Where they are chase, being chased by harpies right now casting call lightning spells from the sky or fixing the ship or firing off rounds but they are back on track to Morlitha who is on her way to the Tempest Temple 
which is another made up place that I have, but it's basically going to be like controlling the seas or controlling the storms. I haven't quite decided yet, but I, I'm really looking forward to getting more in depth than that. But I'm super excited about how this particular encounter went down for them. All the plane shifting and the, the puzzle planning, because like I said, the shadow plane was their espionage. The celestial fight was an actual uh, like face encounter, and the ethereal plane was the puzzle solving. And they mastered all three of those so well. It was an awesome experience, and I would love to do it again with them. So before I run the time too long, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it, and hopefully I can get some more more time for all these episodes. So thank you guys so much, and you know, take it easy.